Thanks to everyone. That was very rousing and impressive. I feel very affirmed. It's unbelievable. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, no, no. No, it's, don't patronize the pastor. It's not good. It's not. Welcome to Union Chapel, everyone. So glad you're here. And what a blessing to be together, isn't it? So thank you for being here. If you're watching online today, welcome to you as well. We know there are many of you at home and other places checking us out online, so welcome to you as well. We're thrilled you're here. We're going to start a new series, as Pastor Jeff was saying today, on struggles. We want to talk about contentment today, and I know it's going to be meaningful to you. Uh, Before we get started uh, in this new series, I just wanted to give you an update on our worship schedule. Uh, The pandemic, uh, for all kinds of reasons, has caused us to be challenged and to rethink what's important, what our values are. Uh, This is happening in individual lives, it's happening in families, it's happening in organizations large and small all over the world, asking important questions about who are we, why are we here, what's our business, how's business, that sort of thing. And one of the adjustments we're going to make uh, as a result of the opportunities that COVID has presented to us is we're going to discontinue Saturday night service. We've been doing Saturday night service for 21 years. Uh, When I say that, that makes me tired. And we've been doing it for 21 years. The reason we started it is because it served the mission. Our mission is to reach people for Jesus Christ. We want to help people know Jesus, to take steps in his direction. And the reason we started Saturday service all those years ago was because our two principal services on Sunday morning were comfortably full and overflowing. And so we needed room, we needed space. So we started Saturday night, and we've been running that way for all these years. Uh, since, uh, since COVID, of course, the numbers are different, and we can't really measure based on that. But before COVID, we knew that Saturday night uh, had basically plateaued, and we weren't really fulfilling mission on Saturday. And with the addition of the 8.30 service on Sunday, which added that third service on Sunday morning, We just aren't strategically in a place where it's necessary and even effective. And so we want to be as effective as we can to stay on mission. So October 24th, two weeks from now, will be the last Saturday service. So if you typically come to Saturday night, that'll be the last Saturday evening service on the 24th. And then the following weekend on November 1st, Sunday, November 1st, we will reinstitute our 830 service on Sunday and then, of course, have our 10 o'clock and this service at 11.30. So three services will begin again on November the 1st on Sunday, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Someone asked, is, does that mean we'll never do Saturday service again? And the answer is, it doesn't mean that at all. In fact, a year from now, if the three services on Sunday morning are comfortably full and starting to overflow, then, yeah, if we need elbow room, we'll start Saturday again because we're in the business of reaching people for Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's why we exist. And so I know you appreciate that. And so just wanted to give you a heads up on the new schedule. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, we begin today this new series on struggles. Uh, just a, a word of kudos to Life Church and Pastor Craig Rochelle, who uh, gave us some insights into this subject matter. We appreciate their leadership very much. And so today's uh, text is found in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to read for us verses 10 to 13. Our custom at Union Chapel is to stand to hear God's word. So let me invite you to do that as you're able. 
These are words from the Apostle Paul, and let's consider contentment. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need. Now watch this next phrase. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Who says that? Well, the apostle does. He said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. Now, may God inspire us and instruct us through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. We now live in a world that is heavily influenced by social media. That goes without saying, doesn't it? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Zoom technology. If you have not been on a Zoom call sometime in the last three or four months, then please come out of your cave and rejoin the human race. There, you just haven't been in, <laughs> involved at all if you haven't been on a Zoom call. Uh, in the next several weeks, what we want to do is identify areas of our lives where we struggle because of modern contemporary society and the influence of social media. Now, don't hear me throwing social media under the bus because there is much value there. Of course, it helps people connect. It's taken a big world and made it smaller. Uh, a week and a half ago, we had a Union Chapel Association meeting. This is the organization we formed through which we do all of our plant church planting initiatives and partnerships. And on a Zoom call, you know, it looks like uh, the Brady Bunch. You know, you got everybody in their own little square on the screen. We had people from three different countries and seven different states on a Zoom call talking about planting churches and strategies for that initiative. And it's an amazing technology. All of us, live, real people, real voices that felt like we were all in the same room. It's, it's amazing. So you can promote things that are important to you. You can push causes forward. So many benefits from social media. Having said that, at the same time, with all the great opportunities that technology provides, there's also some unintended negative consequences. My goal then is to help us get perspective and keep us on balance in a world full of social media. Now, today's subject is contentment. Contentment. Now, now listen to me carefully. Social media promotes a world of comparisons. Now, hang on to that. A world of comparisons, and that's a problem. Because when we compare with others, we become dissatisfied and discontented. Envy fills our hearts as a result of these comparisons. Now, there are people in our world right now who are saying that there is more discontentment in our world than perhaps at any time in history. Now think about that. Never before have so many people had so much and yet not happy, not content. We have to conclude that something is missing. Something's off. Something's lost. Some sociologists are actually saying that social media is one of the biggest driving causes of discontentment. Because on social media, you manage how you look. 
so you look perfect. And you manage your images, and you produce your best images. And you can filter everything that goes out and forward. And you manage that. Uh, popular pastor Stephen Furtick says, we're comparing our behind the scenes with other people's highlight reels. We feel like losers because we see the best of their best and we know the worst of our worst. So comparison is creating this discontent. I heard two moms talking about how they hated each other on social media. The working mom said, I just hated you because you're the perfect Pinterest staying at home mom who does crafts, structured time with her kids, made me feel so guilty. And then the stay at home mom said, well, I hated you because you have a life. You're out in the public, you're doing things. And I haven't had my hair in anything but a ponytail and nor have I even seen an adult since 2009. And so these two women comparing, longing for what the other person has. Maybe you're a person, this has happened to you, you were at home and you were eating a, uh, a pot pie that you cooked in the microwave. And you decided just to open your pad while you're eating this pot pie. And a friend of yours is out on a date. And they're posting pictures from the date almost in real time. And they're sitting there in this beautiful restaurant. And they're enjoying each other's company. And there's a big plate of lobster in front of them. And you think to yourself, I'm a loser. <laughs> or you're sitting on the couch and you're you're eating hostess cupcakes. And that, in fact, you're not, you're not just eating hostess cupcakes. You are trying to keep hostess from going into bankruptcy. You are pounding down cupcakes like nobody's business. And then you get this little prompt or something and you, you look online and here's a good friend of yours and he's at the gym and he's shooting selfies of his new muscles because he works out all the time. And you're laying there on the couch and you know, you've got crumbs everywhere. <laughs> and you feel bad about yourself comparisons. You know, when I was a kid, you couldn't, you couldn't know if you were popular or not. Now you can know just like that because you can ask for followers on a, on a social media site and you may get 287 followers, but your best friend has 492. And so you're only half as popular as she is. You post a picture of yourself and the most likes you ever get to the picture is 33. That's your, that's the top but your best friend, every time she posts a picture, she gets over 100. And you immediately know. So people compare and they summarize. Everybody else's life is so much better. My life sucks. This happens all the time. Researchers did a study at two college universities. They had students spend, watch this, a half an hour on Facebook. And after a half an hour, just 30 minutes on Facebook, what they found is that one-third of the students felt significantly depressed, citing envy as the number one emotion of what they felt after just 30 minutes on Facebook. There are, there are different categories of discontent. For example, there's material and financial discontentment. Did you see that car he got? I mean, did you see it? I've always wanted that car. I preached this sermon at 10 o'clock about envy I finished the sermon between services. Maybe you noticed this when you were coming in. There's a guy in our church. He was here at 10 o'clock. He drove into the parking lot in the latest generation Corvette. It's the first rear engine Corvette in the world. He's out there. He's got the hood up. He's got the every. And there are more people standing around her car than we're in church. <laughs> so I walked out there. I didn't know if he was from church or not. I just thought maybe they're, now they're using our parking lot on Sunday to show off their new cars. 
And he's from our church, and I got the full scoop. <laughs> it was, this was the Lord's way of tempting me after I'd preached the sermon. You get a picture of, of someone's brownies. She, she just cooked brownies. And here's a picture on Facebook. And when you see it, you don't see the brownies. You see that nice solid surface countertop and those custom cabinets in the background with the beautiful little pulls on the, on the doors. And you wonder, why does she get the nice custom kitchen? And I don't get a custom kitchen. Discontentment. Or, or twice that winter, she posted pictures of she and her husband and her family on the beach. They didn't go to, they didn't go to the beach once. They went twice last year. And you start to compare. Maybe there's more than financial material discontent. Maybe there is relational discontent. Um, you're, you're friends with a, a group of folks and you see a post on Facebook and they're all there. Apparently they're at a party somewhere and everybody in the picture you recognize and you ask yourself, why didn't I get invited to the party? Why am I always left out? And you start to feel this pain. Or maybe you're the one among your friends who's not married. Seems like everyone in my, my circle of friends are married or they're engaged. Everyone has a great life. Everyone has, wish I had someone special. And you begin to compare. Or time with your children, you know. Uh, there are some families where the mom's home all the time and God bless them and that's a great thing and, and all this quality time with kids. And you look at that and you're working your tail off just trying to make ends meet and make a, make a way for your kids in the world and you see their life and you compare your life and you start to feel it. Maybe you see in another person a great marriage. You say, well, my marriage isn't that great. And so I feel in fear. I feel left out. There's also circumstantial discontentment. It's just in general in life. Maybe you're a couple who's had trouble conceiving. You want to have a child, but it's very difficult for you, maybe impossible. You're just not sure, and you struggle with that. And your very best friends, I mean, they're on their fourth kid. You know, they just found out they're pregnant again with the fourth. Whoops, you know, boy, that sure was a surprise, you know, and they're posting reveal parties on Facebook and, and you know, stay tuned in two more weeks and we'll tell you what the sex of our new baby is. And you hear that and you feel that. Somebody said life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you respond to it. Something there, I think. The Apostle Paul was the master of responding with a Christ-like perspective. Let's get to the answer here. He's writing while he's in prison. He wrote the, to the church at Philippi while he's in a Roman prison, chained, literally chained to a Roman guard 24-7. It's a miserable place from which to write. And just so you know, he's not on the beach, you know, sipping from a nice cool drink with an umbrella over the top of it. He's in a rough spot, and this is what he says. Let's rehearse it one more time, verses 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. And now we get some insight. Now we get some help. The secret of contentment is... The secret of contentment is not found in what I have or do not have. The secret of contentment is found in Christ and Christ alone. Now, before you just discard that because that sounds like preacher talk and that's what you expect the preacher to say, listen to your pastor. Until Christ 
is all you have, you'll never recognize that Christ is all you need. You want to find the power of contentment? You let everything else be stripped away and you cling to the Savior. You cling to Christ. You put him at the center of your life. He's the important thing. And you may, you may encounter discontentment with material questions or relational issues or circumstantial envy. But if we'll remind ourselves that Jesus is our hope, Jesus is our rock, he is our sustainer, he is our source, he is our redeemer, he is our peace, he is our assurance that God's grace through Jesus Christ is sufficient. His grace is enough. Now listen, you can search and search in life. You can, you can try to get the approval of other people. Folks try this all the time. You can pile up material things. You can achieve other personal goals. You can do all kinds of activities to try to find contentment, ultimate peace in your life. But it will elude you until you put Jesus Christ at the center of your life and at the center of your hope. That's where amen goes in the sermon. Until you let Christ be all that you need, you'll always battle with the envy of discontentment. Envy will rule in your hearts. Now, there are two things we need to drive out of our lives with the hope and power of Christ. If we're going to battle this discontentment, number one, we need to kill comparisons. Kill comparisons. 2 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul said, don't compare yourself with yourself. Don't compare yourself with other people who are comparing themselves with others. This is not wise. Look at uh, this quote from Andy Stanley. He said, there is no win in comparisons. No win in comparisons. When I was in high school, um, I didn't get a car till I was a senior in high school. This was because my dad and our family business and so forth, we didn't have the money to buy another car in our family. I said, Dad, you know, I'm a junior in high school now. I need a car. He said, why do you need a car? I said, well, like to get to school. He said, the school bus still works, doesn't it? He said, if you, want a, if you want a car, get a job. Pretty straightforward. You have to see me as a, a 16, 17-year-old high school student. I was, I was the big man on campus. Letter jacket, you know, big man on campus. BMOC. And riding the school bus with third graders. <laughs> I would get a... In our rural home, the school bus would pull up early in the morning, filled with little monkeys, little grade schoolers. And I'd have to ride the bus. As a junior in high school, I'm 17 years old. You know, the big, big, there's a big game tonight. Everybody in the whole county knows this big game. And, I, and I'm like a focal point in the game. And I get on the bus with the, all these kids. And I ride for 25 minutes to the little elementary school and then for another 35 minutes to the high school. Did that every day. Every day. It was good for me. It was really good for me. And it especially worked out for me uh, as I became a parent and my boys started climbing for cars. I said, listen, I didn't have a car until I was a senior in high school. So just get in line. Don't tell me your sob story. Been there, done that. Well, my dad finally felt sorry for me, I guess, and decided that my help around the family business was enough and, you know, the extra work I was doing in the summers. And so we put our money together and we got my first car, my dad bought me a 1965 85, uh, F85 Oldsmobile. 
This was not your grandfather's car. This was your great-grandfather's car. <laughs> it was a, a rusty blue color and had this uh, pathetic little six-cylinder engine in it. It was, uh, it, was, it was not impressive. Had a lot of miles on it. You know, there's a little lever on the temperature control. On one side of the temperature control, it said cold. And on the other side, it said hot. Now, there was no air conditioning in the car. And, you know, you had to crank the, your own windows and all that stuff. And so this little lever between hot and cold, it, and of course, it didn't work. And so you would try to modulate the temperature when it was cold outside, but it was either full on hot or it was off and cold. I started driving Beth around, my wife, you know, we were dating at the time, and she finally blurted out one day, first you freeze us, then you burn us up. And she was just, you know, chastising me for the temperature control in the car. And I said, listen, here's the knob, you try to make it work, you know, knock yourself out. I had a friend at the time, his name was Mel, and Mel was a good friend and a, and a teammate. Mel was a really handsome guy, you know, he's just, he's just tall and handsome, and his dad was a successful farmer in the area, and Mel's first car was a Chevy El Camino. And if you're old enough to remember a Chevy El Camino, you would know, har, 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 har. that's a great car, big V8 engine in this thing, beautiful, all sparkly all the time. And so I would get my beautiful little date, Beth, in the car with me, my F85 Oldsmobile, and we'd be leaving the the high school parking lot, and Mel would come zooming by in his El Camino, and I'd just watch Beth's head go like this watching my friend Mel drive his El Camino. And I'd have to tap her on the shoulder and say, hey, over here, I'm over here. It's pathetic. <laughs> I was envious. I was discontented. It wasn't good for me. And one night I was driving home. It was, new, it was Christmas Eve, and I, and I had been out late with Beth and her family. And, you know, I was young and stupid, because when you're young, you know, you're mostly stupid. And it was wintertime, middle winter, it's Christmas Eve, and I didn't have a coat. I was driving my car and, you know, all I, had, I had a sport coat on and a tie because I was trying to impress Beth's family at Christmas. And I'm driving home in my great-grandpa car, and I threw a rod. You know, that, you know that phrase, he threw a rod? I actually did throw a rod. And, I mean, big chunks of the engine were falling out <laughs> in the car. I mean, it was blown. And my car came to a stop, and I was still about five miles from home, and this was out in the middle of nowhere. And this is before cell phones, by the way, all you young people. I know that it's impossible to comprehend a world without a cell phone in it. But there were no cell phones, and there weren't five farmhouses between me and where we lived. And so it's the middle of the night. It's after midnight. And so I just got out and started running because I didn't have a coat. If I walked, I'd freeze. And so if I ran, you know, I could maybe stay warm. So I ran all the way home, <laughs> told dad, car's blown. <laughs> it's, it's a mess. And, and he had pity on me. A few months later, we, I started to get these scholarship offers and that was working out well. And dad said, well, since I'm not going to have to pay your way through college, I'm going to get you another car. So we went down to the local Chevy dealer, and in the used car section, there was a 1970 split bumper Camaro, 350 V8, and we took that one home. They only made the split bumper Camaro in 1970 for about six months because the government decided that the split bumper wasn't enough bumper, and so, so they made them start putting a full bumper across the front. So a split bumper Camaro 
was uh, highly prized and is still highly collectible. I wish I still had it. <laughs> and so from then on, I was driving this 350 V8 Camaro Rally Sport up and down the... So I went from one of the deadly sins to another of the deadly sins within just a few months. The first deadly sin was envy because of my friend Mel and his El Camino. And then the second deadly sin was pride because now I'm driving a split bumper Camaro. And, and, and so I'm stuck either way. And that's why we have to kill comparisons. We have to kill it. James chapter 3, look at these verses. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such, quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Do you see that? That's strong, isn't it? For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic, leading to disorder and evil practices. Let me just remind you that one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not covet. It's not just unhealthy, it's sinful in the eyes of God. Therefore, we have to kill and to crush comparisons. I'm convinced that among the forces driving the social and political unrest in our world today are envy and jealousy. Do you agree? Envy and jealousy. We have to kill comparisons or they're going to kill us. For some of you, you may need to take a social media break because it's feeding the sin of envy within you. Here's my recommendation to you. You ready? No social media for 24 hours. No social media for 24 hours. Set your phone down, set your pad down for 24 hours. You'll discover very quickly your level of dependency and addiction to social media. You may, you may bow up, bristle against that whole idea and say, well, listen, I can't do my business without my phone. Okay, do your business. But for you, a week off of social media because you have a bad attitude. <laughs> it's been fascinating all, all weekend when I've gotten to this point in the sermon just to watch people's reaction. I mean, this was the first time I got this sarcastic giggle. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> 24 hours of no social media. Not going to happen. People's body language has changed in the room. Not just, you know nervous laughter or, you know, rolling of the eyes, but folks literally going like this. Whatever. Not going to happen. Yeah, you need to take a break from it because it feeds, it feeds this envy and discontent. Some of you need to hide the feet of certain people that trigger the sin of envy in your life because you know you do it. wonder what he bought this time. Check it out. Wonder what, wonder what she's been up to now. So you go, go to that Instagram and you check her out. You see what's going on in their life. Because you're curious. You want to know what's happening. And maybe beyond social media, maybe it's time to take, take a break from certain publications that you get delivered to your house that have all your favorite things in them to tempt you. Or maybe it's deleting that shopping app where you stop watching HGTV or you cancel your Amazon Prime. 
this happened to me. I mean, this is a true story. I, Amazon Prime, you know, they suck me in, you know, they, I can't resist. And so for about 18 months, I paid for Amazon Prime every month. And about a year into that, I literally one day, I minding my own business, not thinking about anything in, in particular. And I sat there and I went, you know, I haven't ordered anything this month from Amazon. I, I need to order something because after all, I get free shipping with Amazon Prime. And I heard myself think that, and I thought, that is, you, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. That is, that's ridiculous. And so I immediately canceled Amazon Prime. It's paying 12 bucks a month, and all it did was make me buy more stuff, which I don't need. It gets so quiet in the room when I'm talking about this. But maybe you don't need to go to the boat show or the car show or the hunting show. You just need to take a break from the comparisons that happen to us all of, all of the time. We have to kill comparisons. Why is that? Because this envy, the Bible says, is demonic. Think about that. Evil practices come from within, this lust, this longing for something more that I'm just never quite satisfied. I'm never really content with the status quo. It's a, it's a bad state. The Apostle Paul reminded us, look, I've learned to be content in any and every circumstance, whether I have a lot or whether I have nothing, whether I'm full or I'm empty, I've learned to be content. What a powerful and profound state of being that must be, to be content no matter what. One of the things that you can do to help that contentment is to celebrate the successes of others. This is, this is a character test for many of us because it purifies your heart and purifies your intention. Somebody gets the job you wanted and you celebrate with them. Congratulations. Happy for you. How about someone gets the thing that you always wanted? I'm so, that's so great. I told the guy who owns that next generation, latest generation Corvette in the parking lot between services, I said, man, good for you. Good for you. What a cool car. Happy for you. You work hard, you deserve stuff like that. Awesome. Someone takes that vacation you always dreamed of. I'm so glad you got to do that, to go there. How wonderful for you. To celebrate genuinely the successes of others. If you want to purify your heart and purify your motives, then celebrate the success and blessings in the lives of people who have and do the things important to you. We're going to kill comparisons and celebrate God's blessing in other people's lives. Here's the second thing, last point, and that is not only do we want to kill comparisons, but we want to cultivate gratitude. Cultivate gratitude. Someone said envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives and ignoring God's goodness in your own life. Look at Proverbs chapter 15, verse 15. Very insightful. For the despondent every day brings trouble. So there's one example, the despondent, every day's trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. Isn't that beautiful language? What beautiful imagery. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. But some of you know people like this. How are you doing? Oh, I'm having a bad day. It started out bad, and it's going to be bad all day. It's going to rain. You know, did you know it's going to rain? Yeah, and it's going to be horrible. And the economy still sucks. You know, everybody else seems to be doing better in the economy, but not me. You know, I'm, 
I'm not sure we'll ever catch up again. I'm so upset. My kids are brats. <laughs> They're acting up again today. And my car, you know, wouldn't start this morning. I don't know what's going on. Life is miserable. The despondent every day brings trouble. But the happy heart, a continual feast. The happy heart sees the blessing. The happy heart is ready to see God's goodness. Listen, if you're looking for trouble and something bad in the world, you can find it. You don't have to look very far. But if you're looking for the goodness of God and the blessing of God, you don't have to look very far for that either because the blessing of God is all around us. If you look for God's blessing, you can see it. A happy heart's like a continual feast. My dad died about 18 months ago at 88 years old. My dad was always thankful nearly always positive, always affirming. When I would call him, I called him a few years ago because I knew, I knew that he had had a bad experience with his car. His, his driveway was a slight in, incline up to the garage. He drove his car up into the garage and he thought he got it into park. He was 85 years old, he didn't get it in the park. He saw a spot on the driveway. He went and got a bucket of soapy water and he was on his, all fours in the middle of the driveway scrubbing the spot. And his car starts rolling backwards out of the garage, just gravity pulling it down the hill. <laughs> and he didn't see it coming. And the car just came on him. The rear end of the car just rolled up on top of him. <laughs> he said, yeah, he said, the car rolled up on me. So he said, I just, you know, spun around, got my feet planted and stopped it. And he, you know, he didn't realize how old he was. And... You know, he held the car in place, got around, got in it, drove it, and got it in park this time. And I said, I'm calling to say, how are you doing? And so I, when I first asked him, how are you doing, knowing this story, I said, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm good, fine. I said, I, th I thought you got run over by your car. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, I did. He said, but, you know, my shoulder's a little sore, but I'm fine. Your shoulder's a little sore. You got run over by, <laughs> by your car. But that was just his... That was just his demeanor. That's the way he went through the world. You know, if, if, if you're a happy heart, life is a continual feast. And he said, you know, I just keep going. I said, well, what have you been doing this week? He said, well, twice I've been out with my buddies for breakfast this week. And he said, I've played golf with the pastor three times. Let me just step out of the sermon for a minute. My dad reported to me that he played golf with his pastor three or four times a week every week of the year that the weather permitted. I just have this question. How does a pastor, any pastor, have that much time to play golf? I'm just asking. I don't know. <laughs> and so my dad's favorite phrase was, that's awesome. That's awesome. He'd see something like, that's awesome. He'd see something that made him happy. That's awesome. He saw one of us do something that he approved of. That's, you're awesome. That's just the way he went through the world. Listen, that's called a continual feast. Continual feast. Isn't that the way you want to be? Doesn't that sound like, yeah, I want to be like that. Solomon, who was the richest man in the world at the time, and you could, you could argue dollar for dollar was the richest man who's ever lived. Solomon was loaded. Unbelievable, unfathomable wealth. This is what he said. Look at Ecclesiastes 6 9. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Enjoy what you have, rather than desiring what you don't have. 
You want to have a continual party? Enjoy what God has given you instead of longing for what you don't. Be thankful for what God has given you instead of looking at someone's post on Instagram and go, gosh, I wish I had their life. No. They're longing for your life in ways you don't even know. Enjoy what you have rather than longing for what you don't have. Next, the next time you're tempted to say, I hate my car, stupid car, just pause and, and ask yourself, do I have a car that is basically reliable? If that's true, remind yourself that you are in the upper 5% of every human being in the world. You're blessed. You have a car that runs. It's amazing. I, you know, I just want a better house. I want a better house. I should take you with me to some of the places I've been in the world and observe what people call a roof over your, their heads. Be thankful for your house. People say, life is so crazy, so busy, so crazy. You know, just running here and there, meeting myself, coming and going. My kids got all these activities. I don't know how I'm going to keep up. All the, the extra mileage is costing us, and, and the car's running out of good miles. I don't know what, what we're going to do. Life's just so crazy. How about this? I'm so thankful that I have a family and that I have children who are healthy enough to be in activities and I have good friends and I have a community to contribute to and I've got a great church. Every time I connect with my church, I get closer to Jesus and I know my kids are too and that really matters. I thank God that I've got a significant life that keeps me busy and doing significant things that actually bless other people. How about that attitude? Some people say, why do we keep shifting the service times around? Why do we do that? Why do we have to invest so much money and effort and time planting churches everywhere? Why does a pastor keep talking about that stuff? Aren't there enough churches already? I mean, haven't you driven around? There's churches on every corner. Why do we need more churches? Why do we much invest so much time and effort on young people? And why do we have so many younger staff? There's like a bunch of children running around here. What's going on? And why is the music so loud? And why is the pastor so old? Hey, 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 now that's, that's one step too far. We can take the other criticism, not that. But listen, as long as there is one person out there, our church is never, ever, ever going to change our mission focus and to do whatever is necessary to help people meet Jesus. I, th I thank God that people are coming to know Christ and I'm not going to bow down to some demonic curse of envy and comparison because God is always good. And he's been better to me and he's been better to us through his son, Jesus Christ, than any of us deserve. So when my life is good, I thank God for his blessings. When my life is not so great, I thank God for his goodness because I know he's working out all the things of my life for my good according to the riches of his glory in Christ. I know that's true. Therefore, I'm going to kill comparisons because it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. So we're going to celebrate the blessings of others, rejoice with those who rejoice. We will cultivate gratitude, worshiping our God because he's worthy of our praise, because we have learned the secret of being content, whether living in plenty or living in want. And the secret is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because he is all I need. I will pursue him with all of my heart and in him I will have true joy and true contentment because he is life and he is the only one that truly satisfies.
And can we get an amen? And a big yes, yes, yes. So let's pause and think about these things and pray. Our Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would seal this message in our hearts, that we would be a church full of people longing to know you, to seek you intimately, to find joy and strength and contentment in your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would change us, change us by your spirit. Now, while you're thinking, praying about these things, would you take a moment and reflect on God's word? Maybe there are people within the sound of my voice right now, you would say, yeah, I can see it. Social media, technology, it does cause me to envy and to live often in discontentment. There are others of you who say, look, I'm not even on social media, but man, I'm right there too. I see it. I'm comparing. And oftentimes I feel very dissatisfied. So I want to take this before God today. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to bring contentment in our souls. That we'll enjoy what we have instead of longing for what we don't. Lord, I want to have a happy heart, enjoying your goodness, recognizing your blessings all around. So God, forgive us of this sin and help us to be content. And Lord, we know this is possible because we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. In his name we pray. And the people said, yes. Would you stand with us?